I was uh, speaking a few months ago, and this guy gave me a flowery, flowery introduction. He's coming up. He said, oh, this guy that's going to speak, he's, he's incredible. He walks with God. He's filled with God. He brings the word with power and all this stuff. Man, that really puts the pressure on. You know, so I got up there and set him straight. I said, well, let's remember that 3,000 years ago, God spoke through Balaam's ass. He's still doing it today, and I'm, I'm the visual aid. I'm a very happy man tonight. Seven years ago, a little girl came into our lives with a very rare disease and rocked our world. Told that she would probably not live, never would walk or talk. She walks, she talks. She is so healthy today that my bride has finally been able to join me again after eight years at one of these events. So, thank you. There was this, uh, somebody sent this to me recently. There was a guy who worked for the post office whose job was to process all of the mail that came in that was illegible. One day a letter came to his desk addressed in a shaky handwriting to God. So he thought, oh boy, I better open up this one, see what it's about. He opened it and he read this, Dear God, I'm an 83-year-old widow living on a very small pension. Yesterday someone stole my purse. It had $100 in it, which was all the money I have until my next pension check. Next Sunday is Christmas. And I have invited two of my friends over who have less than me. And I was going to provide them with dinner and a few small gifts. Without that money, I can't do this. I have no family to turn to and you're my only hope. Could you please help me? The postal worker was so moved that he passed the hat with the rest of his postal employees. And they came up with a donation totaling $96, which they put in an envelope and sent to her. And they felt the compassion and warmth of providing one who was so needy during the Christmas season. Well, Christmas came and went, and a few days later, another letter arrived from the little lady addressed to God. All the workers gathered around while the letter was opened and read, Dear God, how can I ever thank you enough for what you did for me? You actually heard my prayer. An 86-year-old insignificant little lady. Because of your love for me, I was able to fix a glorious dinner for my friends and provide them with several nice gifts. We had a wonderful day. And you better believe I testified of you. Now, God, there was one problem. There was $4 missing. I know it wasn't your fault. It was probably those thieving postal workers. You know, things don't always work out the way you plan. That 
I hope is not going to be true tonight. Things have gone very well already. Wonderful music from Dennis Jernigan. But I hope you realize the predicament that that puts me in. I've been associated with this ministry for a lot of years. And the first year they asked me to speak like this, it's following Dennis Jernigan. Kind of reminds me of Moses and Joshua. You remember Joshua having to follow Moses? You ever thought about that? Man, how do you do that? Here's Moses, this guy that parts the Red Sea, turns his staff into snakes. Looks like Charlton Heston. And then, then you got what he was called to do, you know? Take these men of war, which have been itching for a fight for 40 years, ready to, to reclaim their manhood and their warriorhood. They're ready to go. And he's, all right, guys, we're going to march around the city. Well, that's kind of how I feel tonight. One with who I follow. The other with what I have to do. Because I've been invited to teach on the love of God. Thank you very much. There is no more more difficult subject, my friends, because it is as big as God himself. God is love, it says in 1 John chapter 4. But God is also infinite, which means that love is infinite, which means what? It means that no finite man will ever fully grasp an understanding of infinite love, let alone lay hold of it as his possession. And we have biblical basis to back that up, don't we? How about Ephesians chapter 3? You don't have to turn there, but you know the passage. The love of God surpasses knowledge. The love of God is too rich, too deep, too vast, too high, too glorious, too holy for any man to ever fully lay hold of it. I have an elder friend. By the way, I've got the greatest group of elders. It's a joy to work with them. But one of my elders came to me a few weeks back and he said, I've been praying to understand the love and grace of God. And I've been praying it fervently for several months. And Frank, he said... I had a dream or a vision, whatever you want to call it. I said, well, tell me about it. He says, I dreamed that I was taken by the hand of God. And I said, God, I want to know your love and grace. And God spoke to me and said, you can't know it. But God, I want to know it. And he says, no, son, you can't know it. But I don't understand. God, why not? And so God led me down to the ocean. And he said, now see that ocean out there? Yeah. Scoop it up in your hands. He said, I can't. That's right. Now, son, what I want you to do is run down into the water. Play in it. Swim in it. Laugh in it. And that he could do. And God said, do you see that, son? I didn't call you to understand it. I called you to enjoy it. To experience it. I'd say that man heard from God. And you see, therein lies the glory of the dilemma tonight. No matter how much we've come to know the love of God, there's more to know. No matter how much you love the, know the love of God right now, you can know it better. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and tell him that. God loves you more than you know. And the glory in that, my friends, is that every one of us then has the potential to know God better. 
The key word there, of course, is potential. And that instantly brings us a question, and the question is how? How does potentiality become reality? I'd like you to turn in your Bible if you brought one. If you didn't bring one, look on your neighbor and may God have mercy on you. (laughs) To Ephesians chapter 3. I saw this truth. It leapt off the page at me several years ago, and it's revolutionized my prayer life ever since. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees. Well, what's he doing? He's praying. For this cause I pray unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. Here's the key, verse 16. If you're not there yet, get some Bible tabs. That he would grant you... Watch this now. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, that's a verse for a warrior, guys. Holy Spirit, grant me the power. Now, think about this, my friends. What do you ask for power for most times? Give me the power to what? To what? To be patient with my wife. Give me the power to understand my husband. right? Give me the power to be patient with my kids. Give me the power to resist temptation. Give me the power to not sin. You, you think about something right there? We're asking for the same thing. We're asking for the power to do something. Not here. Read on. Father, I ask that you would grant, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might by your Spirit in the inner man, that Jesus may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, what? Would be able to, not do something, but what? Comprehend something. Understand something. That revolutionized my prayer life. Father, My finite mind can't get it. By the power of your Spirit, break through this mind and give me understanding to that which cannot be understood. It's incredible. Now, the agent of this power, my friends, is the Holy Spirit. And if you want to, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and follow along. Look at verse 9. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Stop right there. Look at this. Your eye has not seen it. Your ear has not heard it. It hasn't even entered into your mind the things that God has prepared for you. What does that sound like he's talking about? You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't even imagine what's waiting for you. Doesn't it sound like what? Heaven? But look at the very next verse. But God. I love that. But God. That is one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible. I hope it's yours too. I'm going to ingrain it in you. God is the God of the great but. And I'm not being sacrilegious. I'm trying to get you to think. Because that phrase is everywhere in the New Testament. There's a bleak picture. But God. You can't even imagine it, but God. 
What has he done? He has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Verse 11, here's the key. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? What am I thinking right now? What am I thinking right now? Anybody want to take a try? See, you don't know what I'm thinking. Why? Because you're not my spirit. The only one who knows what I'm thinking is the spirit that is within me. In the same way, no one knows the things of God but the Spirit of God. Why? Because the Spirit is God. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is of God. Why? So that we might know the things that are freely given to us from God. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking about heaven right now. And these are the things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teach, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Why? Because the natural man can never understand the things of God. And I used to think for years that that was talking about the unbeliever. That will qualify. But that is talking about a born-again person who tries to comprehend God with his own finite mind. We have received the Spirit that we might know the things freely given to us of God. I would put it this way. To come to this love letter of God with the goal of being able to grasp it with our mind is not only an exercise in futility, but a demonstration of man's pride and arrogance. Looking around the room, no offense, but if our minds could grasp the mind of God, God's got a pretty small mind. I want you to understand tonight that this was even true with Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus is, is, this is the the night before he's crucified. This is deathbed conversation. You don't talk sports and weather and politics on your deathbed. This is life. And what does it say? Jesus said, no think about it. What has he been doing with these disciples for three, some three plus years? What's his number one goal? What's he been doing? Teaching them. Thank you. Who said that? Was that you? That's why you're on the front row. Good for you. You, get the back. (laughs) Yeah, he's been spending three plus years doing what? Teaching. All right, turn over to John chapter 14. I want you to see this for yourself. I want it to leap off the page. I don't want you to just hear it. Deathbed, final words to the disciples. And look what Jesus says. These things I have taught you. Is that what it says? In your Bible? Is that what it says in John 14, verse 25? It's not what it says, is it? These things I have what? Spoken to you. Do you realize what you and I have just seen? Even with Jesus, the master teacher teaching, without the Holy Spirit, his words were just speaking and hearing. Next verse, it will take the Holy Spirit to make it teaching and learning. It will take the Holy Spirit living inside them to bring to their remembrance what he said. It will take the Holy Spirit to take it, make it real and move it from their head to the heart and out their feet and hands in practical and victorious living. And so what are we going to do tonight? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
And I'm going to invite you to do it with me. We're going to commit this entire time to the Holy Spirit or we're going nowhere. I don't know if you realize this, but without the Holy Spirit, it's just a book. Marvelous book. Like no other. But it's just a book without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Vladimir Lenin, dictator of Russia, had memorized the entire Gospel of John? Carl, have you memorized the entire Gospel of John? Okay, go to the back. I spent 14 years studying the Gospel of John. I, I don't... What did it do for him? What did, what did memorizing the book do for him? Absolutely nothing. One of the biggest mass murderers in all history. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. So what I want to invite you to do is to stand with me as we pray. And we're going to shift our dependence from our ability to perceive to his ability to enlighten. Let's pray. Father, we stand in your presence right now. We stand in honor of your word in Jude 23, 24, 25. Praising you. Mindful of the Old Testament economy, whenever a man or a woman came into your presence, they were on their nose. But in a new covenant economy, where sin has been propitiated, not atoned, propitiated, not covered, taken away. Righteousness has been given. Your saints now stand in your presence. Thank you. And Father, as we stand in your presence, we ask you tonight to open our eyes. To give us the power of your Holy Spirit to understand that which cannot be understood. To understand and comprehend the height, length, breadth, and depth of your love in Christ Jesus for us. And now, Father, to you who are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, we will by faith say thank you in advance. In Jesus' name. Let's all say it. Amen. We're going to be up here three times this weekend. I'll give you in advance what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, first of all, the loss of love. That'll be tonight. Tomorrow night, we'll look, or Saturday morning, we'll look at life without love. We're going to look at a couple of kids who didn't know love from Luke 15. And then our final night together, we're going to look at finding love by finding a father. And uh, I know some of you are going to have a tough time Saturday night, but boy, that's what I'm looking forward to is Saturday night. Finding a father is uh, the most wonderful thing. I hope you'll be able to be here. Well, this this evening we're going to start in Genesis, in the book of beginnings. And you say, well, why is that? I believe it would be very unwise to dive into a study of love without understanding the need for love. This is one of the mistakes that the church often makes. Very often in the church what we're doing is we're presenting Jesus to mankind without presenting mankind with the need for Jesus. Did you hear that? We present Jesus... As the need meter, but we'd never present the need. I'm reminded of that little Sunday school story where it was around Easter time and the Sunday school teachers asked the class of little four and five year olds, All right, children, uh, what's white, has tall pink ears, and a little fuzzy tail? And little Johnny raised his hand and he said, Well, it sure sounds like the Easter bunny, but I know the answer's got to be Jesus. (laughs) 
And see, that's what we do in the church. We're presenting, we're teaching people, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer. Well, what's the question? No doctor in his right mind is going to provide a prescription without first making a diagnosis. You don't pick up a book and start reading it in the middle of the book. You don't rent a movie and fast forward to the middle. We've got to go back to the beginning. And any discussion of love has got to begin with a discussion of God himself. And the fact that God is love. What word is in bold up there on that screen for you? Is. That is glory right there. God is love. Notice it doesn't say God has love. Because if love was something he had, it is something he might not have. But that's not what it says. It says God is. And I would say to you tonight, my friends, that you and I have got to enter into the glory of that and enter into the isness of God. If President Bush can do it, I can do it. God is independent of anyone or anything else. God is love. Which means that he loves independent of because. He loves only because he is. Do you realize the glory of that, my friends? That means He loves you not because of you, but because of Himself. Realize the glory of this. You cannot make Him love you. I've read my Bible today. God, do you love me? Well, how much did you read it? Uh, Fifteen minutes? Fifteen minutes. Twenty-four hour day. Thank God that's not the truth. God loves you not because you read your Bible. He loves you because of who He is. Which means another glorious thing. You cannot make Him not love you. He loves. And I need you to think at this point. I mean really think. Thinking is a lost art in the modern world. We are so entertainment oriented. Man, pop. We've got the song things. And we've got the pop in the stereo. And come home to the... TVs and everything else we got. And it's entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. And we don't think in the modern world. I, want, I need you to think. I love what Malcolm Smith said. Think, man, think. Sit down and have a jolly good think. <laughs> I want you to think. Why then did God create you? The church tells us things like this. Well, the church created you to serve him. The church created you to worship Him. The church created you to obey Him. My friends, let me say a resounding no to that. But a no with a basis for saying no. I want to take you to a verse in the New Testament. You don't have to turn there. I'll show it to you on the overhead. It's John 5:26. It is one of the most profound verses you will ever learn if you learn it. It says, The Father has life. In himself. Say that again. The Father has life in himself. What does that mean? Well, think about it, my friends. If you are life, you don't need anyone or anything. Life is your attribute. Life is your essence. Life is your nature. So you don't need anyone. You don't need oxygen. You don't need food. Do you realize that God does not need you to worship him? God does not need you to obey Him. God does not need you to serve Him. I mean, think about this, my friends. God does not have a panic attack if you decide to get off the missions committee. (laughs) Oh, my God, how am I ever going to get things done? I guess he'd say, oh, myself. You know? 
How am I ever going to get this done without you? That's not God. God does not need you to worship Him. I mean, does God have a rejection complex? God does not need you to obey Him. Is God the codependent head of the biggest dysfunctional family in the universe? You know what? I really believe, and here's where press was talking, you can argue. And that's okay, you're free to be wrong. But, uh, just kidding. I really don't believe that our Father has as big a problem with sin as we think He does. You know how I know that? Because I don't have a real problem with my babies disobeying me. When they disobey me, I don't say, how dare you disobey me? That's not what I do. You know what bothers me when my babies disobey me? It's the effect of what they've done. What bothers me is they have to suffer the consequences of what they've done. Where do you think I got that? From a father. I believe with all my heart that the father, he's not that concerned that you sin. He is concerned about what you have to go through when you sin. That's a father's heart. No. God does not need you or anything you do for him. Then let's again say it. Why did God create you? Think. Well, let's think about this. Why did you have kids? Did you have kids to serve you, worship you, and obey you? If you did, you're in for a rude awakening. (laughs) I mean, I tried teaching my kids Acts. Y'all know Acts? Come on now, how many of you grew up in the church? A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. Oh, Dad. Thou great and wonderful dad, I confess that I am not worthy, but I thank you that you are so gracious. Can I have 20 to go to the movies? You see, but uh, I never got it. What I got was dad. How many of you hear that? Dad. No. I didn't have kids to serve me and worship me and obey me. Neither did you. We had kids to love and share our life with them. That's why we did it. Where do you think we got that idea? From the first father. Who himself had kids to love and share his life with. How'd that get up there? (laughs) Say that with me. Duh. (laughs) All right. Where are we? (laughs) Man, then, was designed by God to receive love from God. I got something out of order here. No, we're all right. Why? So that we would fulfill or complete love. 
The nature of love, I want you to think about this, my friends, requires three things. It requires a lover who loves the one who is loved. Do you see that? It requires three things. A lover who loves the one who's loved. The byproduct of that, the result of that, the expected end of that, is that the one who is loved would both receive and then release that love back to the original lover. Does that make sense? It's the only reasonable thing to do. This is what the forbidden tree was all about, by the way. It's not that it was some mystical, magical thing or anything like that. You had God, and he loved mankind. And all he asked was, love me back. Now, I want you to think about this. If there was no tree there, love me back, Adam. Okay. Whatever that means. See that? There had to be a tree. There had to be something for Adam to say no to, to be able to demonstrate love for God. That's all it was, was love me. And you and I ought to understand this, because that's what marriage is. When we marry that special man or woman, we are saying no to every other man or woman in the planet. And that's love. And so God created us to love us and designed us to both receive and release love. And that's why we were created in God's image, my friend. Spirit beings. So that God could connect to us person to person, spirit to spirit, in a unique circle of love. Lover, loved. And back to the original lover. And this is what man was birthed into, my friends. He was birthed into love. Now I teach. And one of the things I love to do when I teach is to ask my father for a word picture. Pictures are worth a thousand words. And so I pray and I say, Father, give me a picture. And this is the picture he gave me. It's like a fish in water. You ever thought about a fish living in water? All it knows is the water. It lives in the water. It breathes the water. That's the way it was for mankind, my friends. Man was birthed in love. He literally breathed love. All he knew was love until that fateful day when love was called into question. And the enemy came along and said, God is holding out on you. And Adam, believing that lie, rebels and chooses to not love, chooses to disobey, and ends up dying. And I want you to understand something about the nature of rebellion. I don't believe that it's possible to rebel against love. How do you rebel against love? Because rebellion is anger motivated. Rebellion has to be justified. The only way it could be justified here is if the love of God was called into question and Adam believed that God was holding out on him. And that's what happened. And so we had the fall. That sounds so nice. The fall. I mean, Malcolm Smith says it makes it sound like he tripped. Some theologians prefer the Declaration of Independence. That's better. But you know what I prefer? The Great Gasp. The Great Gasp. See, come back to that fish. You've been fishing? All the fish knows is the water. It lives the water. It breathes the water. You hook him and you pull him out. And what does he do when he hits that land? Right? 
It's exactly what happened to mankind. We were birthed in love. Breathing love. Love was all we knew. And then this great gasp. And how do we know that? Because man has been gasping ever since. That's how we know. Searching for love. Striving for love. Unable to find love. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Romans one twenty five put it this way. Man looks to the creation instead of the creator. And I would put it this way. Man exchanged mirrors. You see, in the original creation, the way it was intended was man had a formula for life. His formula for life was so simple. Say that with me. Simple. Simple. What was his formula for life? God. I am loved. I am okay. I am significant. You see, in the garden, let's go back to there. The garden answers so many questions. I live in the book of Genesis now. You ever notice in church that churches never went to Genesis? Then you can understand the problem. How do you know the solution? See? I believe with all my heart that this whole theory of evolution thing is a, a ploy of the enemy to keep the church from Genesis. Because we get these people with letters behind their name and we are afraid of them. You don't need to be afraid of them. Listen, i got a cute little poem for you. Once I was an amoeba swimming in the sea. Then I was a tadpole learning how to be. Then I was a monkey swinging from a tree. Now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. See? You don't have to be afraid of these people. You know what Ph.D. means, right? Piled higher and deeper. Don't be afraid of that stuff. Go to the book of Genesis. There's answers there. Let's look at it. God created the this oceans and it was good. And he created the land and it was good. And the animals and it was good. But then he created mankind. And what did he say then? Why? Whose image was man created in? God's. So when he said very good, who was he looking at? Himself. So in a very real way, we mirror God. We mirror back to God his own glory. This is what Psalm 8 is about. Psalm 8... You know, when you look at the universe, remember the Psalm 8? You all know that one? When I look at the heavens, the work of thy hands, what is man? But don't stop there. It's as if the psalmist is saying, stop it, stop it, don't think like that. For you have crowned him with glory, made him to reign, given him dominion. You see it? Don't look at the earth, at the heavens and think you're insignificant. Look at the heavens and realize you're going to rule over them. I was trying to communicate this to my boy when he was about two and a half, three years old. And I had him out. What are you laughing at? And we were down in Louisiana, and man, we get these thunderstorms, man. And so I thunderstorm, great, come here, Ben. And we're going outside, and I said, look at this. Ba-boom! Crack! Ba-boom! And I said, look at that, man, you see that? Oh, yeah, I see that. I said, ah, that's the glory of God. I said, the heavens declare the glory of God. You see that? Oh, yeah, I see that. All right. And I got down my knees and I said, but you realize this, son? The heavens can declare the glory of God. But only you can declare the personhood of God. That's who we are in our original creation. So we mirror back to God his glory. But with, stay with me now. In a very real way, God mirrors to us. 
Because that's whose image we were created in. So we could look at any time and say, God, am I okay? Oh, yeah, you're okay. Am I significant? Oh, yeah, you're significant. Am I loved and accepted? Oh, yeah, you're loved and accepted. But then what happened? In the day that you eat, you will be like God. Who ate? Adam ate. And now Adam became his own mirror. Am I okay? Oh, God. I am not okay. That's where most people are. Then you get those that, am I okay? Ooh, baby, you are more than okay. See? It's the wrong mirror. But Adam's not the only one that ate. Who else ate? Eve. And so now, you are all my mirror. Am I okay? Well, not unless you jump through this hoop. Okay. But now over here they said, you're not okay if you jump through that hoop. Oh, well, okay. And you see what's happened? I've become a puppet. Who's become the puppeteer? And who gave them the strings? And do you realize how unfair that is? Who is it unfair to? It's unfair to me. I was never created to be used and abused at the hand of man. But who else is it unfair to? It's unfair to the ones I've given the strings to. Because no human being was ever designed to have that kind of authority and power over another human being and they will use it and abuse it. And we have put them in a role they were not designed for. And so our formula for life, which was so simple, God, has now become so complex. What I do Plus what others think about what I do. Plus what I think about what I do. Determines how... Do you see how complex that is? From simplicity to complexity. And this is the lie that all humanity has been birthed into. And do you know how very lonely that is? What's our question? Does anybody out there love me? Is there anyone out there that accepts me? Do I have any significance at all in this world? And it's lonely. Those four great contemporary theologians captured it so well. John, Paul, George, and Ringo. You know the song? Ah, look at all the lonely people. Ah, look at all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? Oh, home in on the next line. Where do they all belong? I got a tremendous illustration of this. I was speaking on a college campus several years ago. 
I had spoken there several times, so we had built a rapport with these kids. And uh, so I came out this night, and I had a burden on my heart that I wanted to share. And I took the podium, and I said, now look, I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. And I really want you to think about your answer. Don't spout out your answer, okay? In fact, let's go a little further, young people, three, four hundred collegians. I said, don't you give me your Christian cliché. Don't you give me your pat answers. I don't want to hear them. Don't you try to give me what you think I want to hear. I want your heart. Are you with me? In fact, I'll tell you what. If you try to give me your Christian cliché, I will publicly embarrass you. Now, are we on the same wavelength? Okay. Here's my question. And think about your answer. What do you want more than anything else in this world? And just about that much time went by and a little girl on the left side of the room raised up her hand and she said, I want to be loved. Okay? And I wrote that down. And the little co-ed over here said, I want to be accepted. Not for what I do, but just for who I am. And so I wrote that down, accepted. And then a young man in the back of the room raised his hand. He said, I want to be significant. I want my life to count. I want people to know that I'm here. And when I'm gone, I want them to know I'm gone. I said, okay, significant. That was 20 seconds. You know, silence can be an ominous thing in a big crowd. I waited a minute and a half. And nobody had anything else to say. And I said, young men and women, thank you. You have just given me an illustration I will take wherever I go around this country to speak. Because we have younger and older, richer and poorer, pretty and not so pretty, male, female, but you strip off all the facade and we're all the same. We want to be loved, we want to be accepted, and we want to be significant. And my friends, I'm here to tell you that if you don't get this straightened out and find the love of God, you're going to be a menace to every human being you come in contact with. I want to leave you with this last illustration and we'll close this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says we are earthen vessels. It's a fancy term for a clay pot or a little cup. Pots or cups are designed for two things. To be poured into, so they can then pour out. Pretty simple, isn't it? And this is the way it was in the Garden of Eden. There was man, a little pot, filled with the love of God. 
pouring out to his mate. But what was happening? His mate was filled with the love of God and pouring out onto him. Each one pouring out on the other. There is nothing wrong with your television station. You have just entered the garden. I mean, that's bizarre. I don't have a context for that. But that's how it was. The fateful day they ate and they died and their little cup turned upside down and was unable to be filled anymore. And so now the two pots are empty. And what do they do? What do they want? They want to be full. So he comes to her because he's separated from the only one who can really fill him. But what's the problem with going to her? Two problems. She's coming to him. And she's got nothing to give. I love what Larry Crabb says. Two ticks with no dog. (laughs) Spell dog backwards. Two ticks with no God. I lived like a tick for a lot of years. I don't want to be a tick anymore. I don't want to be a menace anymore. More important even, I don't want you to be ticks. I don't want you to be a menace anymore. we got to get this straightened out, my friends. And I believe with all my heart that we're on the verge of something this weekend. Very, very special. Because every one of us has the potential, by the power of his spirit, to know the love of God better than when we walked in. I would like to pray for you towards that end. Father, I look right now at my brothers and sisters out there. They know your love. Every one of them. I know they do. But they don't know it as well as they can know it. That, Father, excites us. I pray that your spirit, Father, would grant each of them the power to understand your love with the goal that as they are poured into, they will pour out. This marvelous love that is our living God. So be it. In Jesus' name. So I'll say it. Amen.